0: Welcome to Showdown, where I bring together a group of theatre critics to talk about a show that we've each seen. In this episode, I bring together Paul Bale, Ray Rackham and Mae Tremata to talk about Scaramouche Jones. I can see you, you know.
1: Allow me to introduce myself. Scaramouche
0: Jones. A soothing salve to be applied, and reapplied, like a dressing, night after night,
1: year after year.
0: In the dressing room of a clown,
1: my feet,
0: white.
2: My role, and the
0: final solution, when it began in earnest, was to dig mass graves. It is midnight, on the cusp between two
1: centuries, and in the span of a single day, I have become orphan, slave, and
3: exile.
0: with media so hello everybody welcome to showdown episode two exciting and today we're talking about scaramouche jones as i like to say in my northern accent so i'll just introduce the panel so today we've got may trimata the freelance journalist and reviewer for the upcoming brilliant publication and then over there we've got paul Vale of the stage newspaper You've been, how many, 22 years now? Oh, have we lost him already?
3: Uh-oh.
0: Oh, there you go. Did everyone else just freeze? No, it was just you, Paul. Thank oh, <laughs> I was just introducing you. Is it 22 years now you've been at the, the stage?
1: 20. Don't add years on.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, thought, I, thought, I thought that was two years ago, you 20 years.
1: Oh gosh, it might have be been now. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yes, I am probably in my 22nd year
0: at the stage. With... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gorgeous, Mr. Ray Rackham, writer, producer, director and theatre critic for British Theatre.com now. Yes, let's make a start. So, I mean, we all saw this a few weeks ago now. So just to kind of freshen up in our memory. So this was an online screening of a very old play I mean the play was written in 1999 when it was set and it has been revived a few times um but this was a brand new online presentation starring Shane Ritchie no less so who wants to kick us off Ray what did you think because you you said some quite glowing reports about his performance in particular
3: me Oh, yeah. Ray, Ray, May, which one is it? Sorry, I... We'll start
0: Ladies first, so we'll go with May.
3: Oh, uh, okay. What did you um...
0: think of the performance in overall?
3: Well, um, coming from somebody who hasn't seen anything else from him, I thought it was really good. Um, I I mentioned it in my review, but um, even though it was really dark and like the makeup kind of overtook like his face, um, I could still feel his facial expressions. I could still like read them. And um, especially that scene where he was describing the shootings of like the little kids um, that I felt like was the hook line and sinker for me basically so I thought um I thought he was really good in it um I haven't seen much of anything else that he's done but according to um the uh Justin Butcher who wrote um Skyrimish June Jones um he did um think that Ray would bring something new to it because of like his kind of like theater background so
0: yeah exactly could we do forget this he although he started out and most famously was in EastEnders for a, a long time um and the Daz adverts of course he has got a background in theatre, and most recently was in *F* talking about Jamie, which I think he's now returning to as well.
2: So, Ray, you called his performance a tour de force. Yeah, I, I mean, I was knocked out by it to be perfectly honest, and I wasn't expecting much at all. Um, why, I, that, why were you not expecting much? Because I'm a snob, and <laughs> um, and I thought we were going to have the kind of Alfie Moon, blue coat, you know, hidey High. Shane Ritchie and yeah. what we actually got was I think one of the most affecting performances I've seen on a stream well since this whole horrid pandemic started um yeah. I loved it I well I didn't I mean I had lots of issues with much of what yeah, I saw but Shane Shane's performance I think was exemplary and um and and May, you 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 absolutely pull out the the moment that that grabbed me. And it was a real it was the kind of alchemy that you sometimes get with a really good piece of written dialogue and a performer yeah, he maybe only did it that one time, but capturing a moment very, very heartbreakingly and very beautifully in a horrifically disgusting way. Um that, that particular section with the with the children and and I suppose, you know, I brought a lot of my family history to that as well, with, with family members in music hall and that kind of vaudevillian lifestyle, and then those who were at the camps. And it just that, that, that the, the combination of some quite awful, horrific stories told very well by an actor who I was expecting very little of. And, you know, I'm sure people are going to say, you snob. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, is my Sondheim books on my mantelpiece? Um, but yes, I was blown away, and I and I, I think it was the best performance I've seen from anyone streaming, certainly, but for a one-person piece, knocked out. And what about you, Mister Vail What
0: were your thoughts of Shane's performance? Well, I
1: I, um, I came to this performance uh, very differently to Ray, um, in that uh, I've seen Shane Richie on stage a few times now. Um, firstly, in pantomime, in a, in a way, I would expect to see him. He was himself, he was funny. I remember him being on kids TV years and years ago. Um, and a couple oh, of... Cool. You, you, we're old enough to remember win, lose or draw. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um, I I then uh, uh, saw that he was doing EastEnders and I must admit, I don't watch a lot of EastEnders, but I do. I have seen his performances and you realize that he was gaining a certain amount of credibility as a dramatic actor as well as anything else. But again, stage is a very different creature. And then I saw him do, he was in The Entertainer, playing uh, Archie Rice in The Entertainer uh, a couple of years ago. Um, And that was fascinating and I thought, yes, he's a good actor and he's bringing a lot to it. So I was kind of interested to see, I think you judge an actor on what choices they make. And I thought, oh, he's playing Scamish Jones. Okay, I can see that. It's a bit like Archie Rice was an old school entertainer. This character was a clown and you can draw on that. You can see why he's choosing these pieces and what he can bring to them. And that's why I was fascinated to see this. And I thought it was an absolutely astounding performance. And
0: how did we feel about the characterisation? Because in particular, he is portraying a 99-year-old man. I mean, if you picture a a 99-year-old man, you think of Prince Philip or Captain Tom most recently. But for me... Yeah. I mean, what did you think, May, about his physicality as an actor?
3: his performance not just his physicality but his performance felt young for the role um especially because I've never um seen or read Skyrimus Jones at the end when he just kind of like falls um inert, and um basically it gives the impression that he died it kind of felt like a surprise because he didn't feel like he, he was at the brink of death, if that makes any sense yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. So I did kind of like, I see your point. Um, He did feel kind of like, and sometimes when I was watching it, I sometimes forgot that he was in fact 99 years old because of how active he was on stage and how active the character was that he, that how the character came across as well. I'm
1: gonna say, it never, really, never really registered for me that I know, obviously, he was supposed to be 100 or 99 years old, but it never even occurred to me that he was playing young or anything like that, or too young for it. It just didn't occur to me at all. I was too taken in by what was happening. I mean, it's very, very unlikely, but not impossible, uh, that a 99-year-old man will ever play this role. Uh, you never know. You've got... Um, uh, uh, Ian McKellen playing Hamlet, so you never know. You never know. Although he's not ninety nine yet, but it wasn't an issue for me at all. I I actually
2: thought it was a, a, a very nice way of displaying what in, your kind of internal monologue. Um, I I don't see this as Scaramouche addressing an audience. He's really talking to you, the audience, you that one person, and and in a sense, I I feel like. It's only when I look in the mirror I realise I'm not 18 anymore. Um, Mm. Stone maybe, but um, but I think one of the 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 good things about this is that we do meet him and he tells stories about his childhood and birth. He wouldn't know that, Um, and then we see we see these kind of him at the pivotal moments of history. Again, how much of this is true? How much of this is conceived in his head? How much of it have we kind of witnessed and and I liked the performance. I didn't, it didn't bother me at all that he wasn't old. I felt a little bit like what we were seeing was the best of him. So maybe his memories was take, were taking him to his you know, salad days, the, the glory time of when he could perform in, in that way. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I bought into the fact that he was nearing death. Because he told us right at the beginning, yeah, and and then uh, thereafter it didn't really matter. He could have done a cartwheel. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I just want to say that um, even though I felt like his performance was young, I didn't. It didn't bother me at all. It just, um, like, it, it's just the way that it came across. But it wasn't like a big deal to me whatsoever. As so, well,
0: and let's scrutinize his accent because he, for the most part, he does a, a quite a bold job of it. But there were flourishes where I don't know if it was me, it just felt like a bit like, oh that there's shame. there's shame. What did we
2: feel, right? Combination of brave choices, really. <laughs> there were some moments. Uh, and this is coming from someone who could sound like he lives on Sloan Square or down on the docks on the East End. But there, you know, there were some moments where I thought, oh, he is gonna whack out the packet of Daz. But um but again, didn't didn't bother me because of the strength of his performance. I, I actually find some of these things quite bizarre when people adopt accents of the people they're having conversations with. Um, and I think where he chose to do that it was where it was written. Um, and you know, some of the early dialect in, 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 uh, dialect in, in Trinidad, for example, yeah, you know, it clearly was written that way to be performative in that way. Um, where Shane seeped in was where it got a little bit eggy. Um, but again, this is a love letter to Shane Ritchie. Um, yeah. I just thought it was wicked. Um, forgave any sin.
0: So talking about the, the piece itself, had Paul already seen it before? Mave said you, you didn't. Had you seen it in other incarnations? Where did you see it?
1: No, I've never seen it before, I must say, admit, because and I find that peculiar because it's such a, I've seen many, many, many one-man shows and small pieces. It's not an expensive piece to mount. It's an, you know, it's a, a great showcase for an actor, but I've never actually seen this piece performed. I saw Pete Puzzlewake do it.
2: Um, I think I was 19 and I didn't get it at all. And I was terribly bored
1: what today
2: good crowd oh quite a good crowd
0: not bad for a swan song Our bloody parents these days, clocking round their kiddies. Neurotic, that's what they are. They're far too bloody neurotic by half. I
2: mean, they want to know what it's really like to... to, Oh, let the kiddies go. Fear
0: and delight. What's wrong with a bit of fear and delight? Oh, wicked old clown, come and steal away your children, eh? Like the old Pied pie, pa steal away, steal away.
1: Steal away,
2: steal away, steal away too. But, yeah, and then I saw a production, oh, maybe two, three years ago at Edinburgh, um, which, again, was just in one of those tiny comedy clubs. Um, and I think people didn't realise, I, I don't think the bookers realised what it was when they booked it, because it was surrounded by stand-up comedy. Um yeah. But yeah, I'd seen it before, and I hate to say it, but it never really did much for me. Uh, I don't really remember anything of it. Um, maybe, maybe had I seen it now, I would, but no, I don't remember.
0: So going back to Edinburgh, was that just in the writer himself who was performing? Because he did take it to Edinburgh, so you might have. So it wasn't that production. No, definitely not. Because as we say, he wrote it for himself, and then obviously it was given to to the late great peter about a year after it was originally written so may you interviewed him recently so can you tell us a little bit about that experience of his insight into why he wrote it perhaps and and then later got to perform it himself and he took it around the world he took it to adelaide festival and other countries so what was he like obviously you 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 interviewed him by email
3: yeah, um, it was a nice experience. I felt like, um, how he was answering questions um you could kind of see the parallels between like his word his his answers and like the performance itself or the script itself but um i think it's interesting that he did take it around the world because um his advent the misadventure, his adventures his own adventures um took him around the world as well and his background obviously and also like the the performance itself is all this different like kind of like um a culmination of different experiences from different places so that's kind of like a nice cathartic and maybe kind of sentimental thing for me that I really liked about interviewing him and also the play itself is the the way that like you know he he's obviously had all these experiences he mentioned the not just his experiences but he mentioned his family background um the the different the the how do I say this? Um, the variety in his um in his lineage and stuff like that, and uh, the way that the way that he kind of uh, embeds it into the actual play itself, and into like the interview, which was. Kind of like reading a mini play itself because it was such not just a mini play but like a mini story itself because because it was such a it was such a nice interview basically um, I I really liked it it felt like he was storytelling it to me instead of just answering questions so I can yeah I definitely see where he, the script kind of borrowed some parts of himself into the actual like uh, story because um. yeah,
0: he's famously said. His only goal was to write something 100% attuned to his own tastes, and if anybody else liked it, so much the better. So, Ray, as a writer, how do you feel about that? What yeah, a quote, I eh?
2: Mean, I completely agree. I mean, the only thing that I've done of any note is about Judy Garland, so <laughs> I don't think I can't disagree with him there. Um, no, I mean, I, I thought that the piece itself there were moments where it almost was too big for itself. Um, And some of the, some of the stories, and I think I said in my review, you know, when you're 41 minutes in and, you know, and you've only got to the battle of the Somme, you know, you've got a long night ahead of you. And I, I do. There were moments where I wanted to say, okay, this is, can we wrap this up and move on? Let's get to Mussolini. Um, (laughs) Because it, does it is a little bit self-indulgent but again that's his absolute prerogative as the writer he writes not to serve us as critics he writes the piece that he needs to get out of himself whether or not we like it then is is his gamble um and there were moments of it that i really enjoyed there were moments where i thought this is just frankly bizarre um and there were moments that were very heartbreaking and, and uncomfortable, and I think all of those moments had their place in there. And rather like my responses to your questions, they could be trimmed down a bit. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I you know I I think um, I, I I think he clearly, as May said, put a, a lot of his own experience, you know, not literally but in life, into this piece, and I think as an audience it's always a joy to see that um, and to, and to try and find those moments as well
0: and as you say it was a long long piece especially for a one man show paul what were your thoughts about did it how about the pacing did it feel too long
1: um yeah i'm, I'm with ray on this one i'd be interested to know actually for edinburgh was it it was it edited at all because usually edinburgh shows will run to an hour just and and this was what an hour and a half,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. easily. And I, I thought it was a long, a long old slog. But uh, you see, this this is one of the, one of the, the the joys of this sort of thing. Is I would like to see Shane Richie do this on stage. I want to see. I want to be in the room where it happens rather than sat watching him do it. Because I don't think. Well, I'm sure we'll get to this later. I don't think the production did anything for it at all, and. Right. I want to be there and if, 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 if it's done nothing else and it's it's te- this this production tells me that Shane Rachel ought to do this stuff. Yeah, yeah completely.
0: Yeah, so like building from that about the production itself and the way it was set up. So we'll, we'll start with the fact that it was, there were no audience. So how did that impact us as a viewer, do you think? And how did it impact Shane's performance, May?
3: No, I didn't really feel um, if there was anything missing to it. Uh, maybe because I haven't, I, I, I don't know if it was supposed to be performed um, with the audience participation in mind or, um, but the way that they did it, like, you see it a lot with online place now is that they use um, the c- c- they use cinematic kind of like techniques to give life to place. So I like the whole thing about like you know using the camcorder and then you see in the little corner like the batteries running out just as the place going on and that kind of stuff. So I like that. I didn't feel like I was missing much as uh, as an audience member. I actually thought it was engaging because you could see like time. Um, time lapsing, T- time passing, time passing, time passing as uh, the performance is going on. And y- there are kind of like markers as to like yeah. the years that the, the the years that have like the, the years that he's within and the years that has passed by. And um, so, yeah, I felt like it didn't make me feel like I was included, but it felt like I wasn't excluded if that makes any sense whatsoever um but that's just my opinion on it um yeah well I just wanted to say though as well about like the pacing itself um for me because it's an it's an online play there was a lot of breaks for me when I was watching it I'm not sure if that's exactly how you're supposed to um digest that kind of play but yeah. I felt like if I would watch it um in person um my attention span would just fly over the head so that that that's why maybe that's why my rating was qu- quite high on it because I enjoyed it the way I consumed it. But if I saw it in live person, I I don't think I will have that same experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a very valid point because I have to admit I pressed that pause button quite a few times and came back to it. Um, I, I think Paul, didn't you do it in a couple of sittings?
1: I did. That that was purely a technical issue. I thought I uh, I thought it was. Um, Uh, I think the way it was sent out to me, it said, you can watch this now. So I watched it and I could see it counting down, counting down. And As you say, you get to the song and you think, cool, the last half is going to be really, really quick. And then it stopped and I'm like, oh, right. And then I struggle with the technology and I think, oh, right, I see and by then, I couldn't watch any more because I had um, other commitments and um, I thought, right, I'll watch the second half another time. It's not a second half, but I didn't. The thing is, if I'd have been watching that in a theatre, it wouldn't have bothered me. I was so, I was so absorbed by it. it. wouldn't have bothered me. I'd have sat, quite easily sat there for an hour and a half, even though I, as long as it was, because he's, Richie is such an engaging storyteller.
0: And very so we're talking about the production itself and like, the lack of an audience. Um, did you feel
2: it, it lost anything from that? I think I'm beginning to get a little bit numb by the streaming process. I'm, I am really looking forward to getting back into a theatre with an audience and having that kind of collective enjoyment of, of something and, 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 and hearing people laugh and hear, or hearing people gasp or the odd sniffle um, or, or whatever it is. I, but I think at the moment my mind uh, has act- actually it's just adjusted to the fact that i'm going to be sitting on my own or, or with my significant other um and we might have a chat halfway through <laughs> or, we, or or i might go and call myself a martini or or something and i and i don't see there being a problem with that because the the theater is in my own home um i i don't think the production lacked anything because we weren't watching it and we weren't watching a recording in front of a live audience and one of the things that I find really interesting now is the dialogue between us as audience members and the performance streamed is really different from a filmed with you know in front of a live audience yeah yeah. the other the other day I was watching um just for pure enjoyment Carol Burnett's dress skirt fall down um, during the filming of uh, Back in Business of putting it together in like early 2000 or something. And John Barrowman really embarrasses himself by <laughs> laughing outrageously at this. fact fact, her skirt's falling down. And, and, he, and he does it and the audience laughs and then he laughs some more and the audience laughs some more. And, and it just was really uncomfortable to watch because I was like, I'm not there. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of peeping, peeping through the curtain at something that happened between him and the audience. Whereas now with the streaming, it's happening between me and Shane, um, and I actually really enjoy the streaming where there isn't an audience and where there isn't you know we're, we're not we're not the kind of the, the, the second class person peeking through the curtain. We're actually there with our ticket. If that makes yeah. any sense.
0: And let's talk about the director. So Ian Talbot is a renowned director. lead Director is he back on the Mousetrap? I believe think when that comes back um obviously he was resident director for a number of years at Regent's Park is it an interesting choice that you talk about this this filmic aspect and I've I've seen recently a lot of these streaming sites they're still getting theater directors to direct them and not embracing (laughs) A, a director who perhaps knows more about film or has more of an insight into how to make a film. Um, do you think that's an interesting choice that they, they went for Ian? Paul?
1: Um, yes, I suppose so. I mean, I, I am probably... Uh, I'm a big critic of... or <laughs> Personally, I don't like theatre online. It hasn't worked for me. I really, really hoped it would. And I kept watching things, some of the greatest productions of the last 10 years from the National, and each time I switched it off. Even Hamilton, I couldn't watch halfway through. I just thought, Do you know what? I'm not there. I'm not interested. I really am not. And I think, but what, what they're trying to create, and particularly, I got this from, from Scamish Jones, is they were trying to create something of a cinematic quality and doing it really badly. Yeah, And I just thought what I wanted was a camera in front of an actor and I'd have enjoyed this much, much more. And that is the problem I had with it. Now, how that reflects on Ian Talbot and what he brought to the production, I don't know, because obviously he has to consider the fact that it is being filmed. He has to bring something to it. And I liked the idea that this Scaramouche Jones was filming the piece uh, himself. I quite like that interesting idea. But the flicking of cameras and stuff like that just it's almost as if there are two directors on this piece, the person who's videoing it and the person who's actually directing it. And that clashed terribly for me. How
3: yeah. did have- yeah. I have to agree with him um, mentioning in my review that I wasn't a big fan of like the inconsistent camera cuts and the different angles that they Im- implemented in it. I really liked the camcorder setup and I wish that that would be the only um, thing that was there instead of like I can totally see where you're coming from with like the two different directions as well. Um, yeah.
2: May, I think you make a really good point with the, the camcorder. For me, the camcorder also was representing him fading away as well so as the camcorder was going down and losing life so too were were poor old Scaramouche but um I, I could not agree more I just found I mean I love Ian Talbot and I love the Shakespeare's to to the pinafores to the high societies to the the, the forum um one, one of the best funny thing have on the way to the forum I've ever seen I just thought this was shocking um and 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 I say that with love, but um but it had very little redeeming quality on this kind of marriage between cinema and theater. Um, and've I've been a real you know, um, Paul, I think I slightly differ from you in the sense that some of this stuff I've said has worked marvelously. I thought the color purple, for example, well, I, I thought I thought sunset Boulevard. Which was around Christmas time was good, and then the colour purple came along, and that blew me away because they, I do think there was a real marriage between the, the the gubbins and tricks of cinema, but it was still very theatrical. Here it felt like the editing and the cinematic quality was eating into the the innate theatricality of the piece. Mm. Um, it was almost an assault on the senses at some point as well. Um, that I just did not enjoy.
0: Yeah, I mean, you said in your review, this production is a combination of excess that just doesn't make sense. And you even said nods to the Blair Witch Project became irritating quite quickly. Um, So yeah, so it was an interesting choice. Um, Do we think it's an interesting piece that they, for them to do? I mean, a lot of people have been talking about it, especially through the reviews that it was quite, but as a society, we've we've all spent a year kind of reflecting through our own lives and our own paths, and is this piece quite quite a good piece to bring to now? And when we think about why they chose to why 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 put it on,
1: what do you think, Paul? Well, I think I know. It's a good good question, and one of the things it did make me think of is. Um, I worked um, a couple of years ago. I worked in a care home, and uh, full of people in their final years, um, who'd lived full and rich lives. And you'd listen to their stories, and you hear their stories, and you'd speak to them about what they've done. And we lost a lot of old people this in this last year. Lots and lots of old people, and I think there's a sense of History and he talks about the last hundred years. And you think about some of the things that I remember I used to sit and look at. Oh, we had the list of um, names of people in the care home, and one of the recognizable things with them, how you, you sort of dealt with them, is you had their date of birth in there. And this was like Downton Abbey years, their date of birth. And you just think, oh, God, this is mad. But, and they, uh, these people had lived through so much. Um, as had Scaramish Jones, and he was talking about his life and how he has coped with his life, how he has dealt with his life. How, um, and I think to that extent, it is, an important, it is an important piece and it's a valid piece to put on, I think. Yeah, and obviously for you, <laughs> mate,
0: it's, it's a new, uh, new piece. So how did it feel for you seeing it for the first time?
3: Well, putting on my millennial goggles or young people goggles, um, the way that my generation basically consumes the media is a lot of like YouTube story story time videos, that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's actually a good, piece to ease well maybe not ease but it's a good piece to kind of like introduce maybe people of my age to uh, an uh, an interesting form of telling history through one man's eyes but also because a lot of the people me including m- myself including um, when we consume media most of us listen rather than watch um, YouTube videos and maybe even films and stuff like that so I thought this was kind of like a good kind of like a good balance basically um it was a nice piece to look at but like i said the cuts and stuff like that were kind of distracting but just listening to it as well was there were parts where i just focused on him talking and it kind of resonated with me more um especially um bringing in the the audio not the audio well yeah the audio the music and stuff like that um so it 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 felt refreshing that way um i would have I would have liked it, that's why I, kept, I keep saying that the camcorder setup is like good for me because like it's static, it's looking at one angle and that would probably be the way that most of my people, not my people, well people my age would probably consume media It's just like one static shot of a person telling a story and that resonates with us more than the, the, the fluctuation of um, different events happening all at the same time.
0: Yeah, So, Ray, you said that the soundscape in particular was too
2: intrusive. Yeah, well, I think, I think everything was too intrusive. I think the, the design, um, I mean, it looked like someone had dipped a load of Tesco's carriers in some red paint and put them all over the show. Um, and the, and the, the sound, you know, there were moments where the performance and the sound design just didn't match up. Yeah, um, and there were kind of quite poignant moments that would then, and particularly towards the, the millennium itself, where I just I was like I can't hear, I, and maybe 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 that's my people I can't hear anymore. But there, <laughs> there was definitely something that I was like, oh hold on, what, what was that? And and I think when a, when any design element then just takes front and center, um, you've you've got the balancing correct um and I mean any design element everything has to work as a really kind of cohesive whole and support the text and support the vision and there were moments where it just felt like everything was working at odds and even to the kind of the literal design there were mid-century modern which is my latest trend indoors but the, the kind of the chair and the piano and the desk and then yeah. The the, the cellophane. I don't know what the cellophane really represented. I, you know, I, I I had a few guesses, but none that we can share before the watershed. But um, but that I just didn't get it, and that that was my big problem. But and and, and Phil, I wanted to just go back to your earlier question around the, was it a good choice? Because Ooh, yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, if we have to endure two or three years of post pandemic choices, I'm off. Um, there is no way I'm going to sit through that. Yeah. Um, it was bad enough as it was. But what, what, I, what I found interesting with this is right at the beginning last year, we had the Alan Bennett talking heads. And, and yeah. May, if you haven't seen them, you definitely should.
1: I shot a man last week. Really? Nobody normally gets killed round here. It just breaks your heart. And you won't believe this. Oh, it was with a harpoon gun. Typical.
2: Because it is the kind of one camera angle, and they talk about going down to bridlington to get themselves a cup of tea. But but it really is very very different, and that is just a monologue of someone telling you their story. And um, and that was almost like, well, that's safe. You know, we, we we're in the middle of the worst pandemic in of a hundred years, and you know, and you could have one person talked to the camera and very little gubbins and kind yeah. of tech around it Um now we've moved on and we've got this stuff like Colour Purple and big musicals being streamed in televisions. rooms that it almost felt like Scaramouche would have been better placed had it been early on yeah. and and we were all of us you know no matter how many people you have in your household one or 500 we all felt very very alone um and that kind of dialogue would, have, I think, been better placed. I think, I think what happened was a decision was made, and it just took a long while to get it to the yeah to the, to the camera. Um, but it it certainly it certainly has a place. But yeah, I mean, if we seriously, if we have to watch thousands of plays about the pandemic, that's it. I'm going back to, I'm going back to reading.
0: But It it was a a very bold design. I mean, so this is Andrew Exeter, who recently designed High Fidelity and Hair for the Turbine Theatre, and most recently online, he did Brooklyn, um, which was beautifully shot. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it was it was very abstract, very kind of
2: out there. But um, what, Phil, what, what, um, what he did with Brooklyn was quite similar to this, but it was just presented in a really yeah. different way. All of the torn manuscript paper in, in Brooklyn made sense, really made sense, and, and, and gave us that kind of earthy streetness to the piece that, again, was about the piece and served the piece. This just seemed like dressing Oh, you know, oh, that looks like it. And I love a good window. You know, Selfridges at Christmas is my, my, my joy. But it almost felt like, oh, let's put the show on there because it looks quite nice. Yeah. Or it's funky, funky, so
0: boring. But it is interesting if we do compare it to Lambert Jackson because their progression as producers during the pandemic, if you look at Brooklyn as their most recent compared to the, the very first, with the last five years that they did, there was such a departure and such a, a kind of growth as, a, as producers. And with Ginger Quiff, who produced this, they, they too did do earlier things. They did Rose, which was very successful, and even made little it to Sky Arts. Little Wars. Um, yeah.
2: They, they did that, didn't they? I'm sure yeah, they little did. Little
0: Wars um, and Godspell in concert, and then they did Rose. So I mean there was there's a variety within that and I think another one called Falling Stars which they they filmed at the Union to to Ginger Quiff I mean how many of those productions that have you seen anything else by Ginger Quiff May
3: No this is my first time seeing so um, unfortunately I can't give much to this converse this particular conversation but I'd like to see more of their stuff if you know they could um kind of find a balance between being cinematic and theater because I've think that, um, you know, film, when you're using camera angles, you're using filters, that kind of stuff, there's a purpose for it, you know. Yeah. But in Scaramous Jones, I didn't find any purpose into all the different cuts and stuff like that. And going back to what Ray said about the music being intrusive, I kind of got that as well a little bit. Um, I felt like the audio levels were uneven. Yeah. Um, there are parts where like the audio took over um, the um, Shane talking. Um, so I, I, that some some parts of the play um i probably didn't quite get or understand or really really get deep into because of like how much the audio was over especially at the beginning as i that was the first thing i noticed was that how how loud the music was compared to how him speaking but i did like at the very end when um you know when he dies um that the 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 song the Party like it's 1999 was playing. I thought that was kind of like a nice way to end the and end the piece and I thought that was a, a a great decision and I thought yeah that was a great decision and that's kind of like the balance that I want from them is like the the balance of film and theater and just finding reasons of why certain decisions are, decisions are made.
0: Yeah, so great. Right. What do you, what do you know of Ginger Quiff?
2: Um, so I've seen all of the things, um, and, and they are really, really different. Um, and, the, and the highlight for me before this were the performances of a whole host of British actresses in, yeah. in uh, Little Wars. Um, Stephen Carr McCasland yeah. who is absolutely a, a, a playwright to watch out for. He, he's doing a load of monologues at the moment and streaming them off his own back. Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to give him a. I'm going to give him a little bit of a plug. Oh, um, go go and look. there. There's an actress, Catherine Russell. He's working with, and they are doing kind of 25 minute monologues that you can get on SoundCloud. Go and search them out. Stephen Karl McCaslin is some. I think is going to be a real voice. A, a, a very good voice. Um, but yeah. So Ginger Quest, I think they've picked really good and varied stuff. I think they've also been looking at what everyone else has been doing, particularly Lambert Jackson, and, and almost pitching their tent to that se- or trying to pitch their tent to that same trajectory. And I think Scaramouche um, was very much that. Yeah. Um, at le- everyone's talking about this marriage between cinema and theater. Everyone's talking about how arresting designs can really you know, enhance your streaming experience. Um, And I think what they did was just try and chuck everything into this. And it's almost like you've got that little jam jar that you're trying to chuck everything into. And and ultimately, it just bursts. Um, And that's how I feel about about this one. I think it was a bit of an own goal on their part um, because they tried so much. And it wasn't just about the direction. It wasn't just about, you know, a poor brief to the designers or whatever i think it was a case of the producer saying let's try and make this a real statement piece and that's probably what everyone was told to do and it maybe was a bit too much but i actually think as a production company they can they have produced a whole host of things that have been real highlights of the various lockdowns Um, and it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do in a theatre when we're all in there. Um, you know, bags of tomatoes under our seat. Exactly. And particularly
0: because they've just hired Nikki Sweetland as their new production and casting coordinator. So they've obviously got plans and things coming up. Because this Good was... Length. Yeah. So, I mean, she's she's knows her stuff. She was attached to the theatre cafe for a long time. It's very well known. Um, so, yeah, so... It's that question as well, because obviously with Lambert Jackson, a lot of people are speculating. They've made a very, very good job of producing online content, but will it translate to the stage? And will they be as as successful when it comes to returning to theaters? And what do we think about Ginger Quiff, Paul? Do you? I mean, you've known the lads Thomas and Michael for for a number of years. So.
1: I have. Yes. Yeah. Um, they. they... Uh, the earliest productions I saw that they did were at the um, not under Ginger Quiff, but uh, Thomas Hopkins was a producer at the the Old Landor Theatre. Yeah, did, uh, three shows that I quite liked. Um, I, I thought they were really good. And uh, uh, then he sort of disappeared off the scene. And then um, returning, he did. He did. They did produce something at the Omnibus uh, that I saw, and I think country the- music. That's the one, yeah, which was wonderful. And didn't it win something at the office? So uh, the actor won...
0: Yeah, he won fun. Best Actor, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. and deservedly it. So it's a very good piece. So I, I fully expect that after um, uh, the lockdown, that they, they will continue to do interesting things. Quite what the direction will be, I don't know. Um, I couldn't tell you. But uh, I will say I, did, I wasn't a massive fan of um, Falling Stars. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a difficult, it was an old piece to do. I found it very strange. Again, something I would be far more comfortable watching in a theatre than on, online. It just seemed odd online.
3: There's a guy I'm wild about Every time he takes me out There's no one else around Day
0: will break and you'll awake And start to bake a sugar cake For me to take for all the boys to see
2: You never know as a singer what glorious forgotten melodies you might uncover in this sort of a play so
0: Yes we, we have, have no, no bananas, bananas.
1: No um, I quite like Spell, I like the innovation of Godspell, like the, like the the ambition of the piece. It's a difficult piece to do anyway um, on stage, and you think, well, let's let's play with it, and they did. <laughs> One well, again, I think the biggest thing that they had for Scaramouche Chums was Shane Ritchie and they seemed to refuse to let that run. Right. They just threw lots of other things at it that weren't necessary.
0: It's interesting, to, so sticking with the, the producers. So we had making her a uh, debut as a producer, Amy Hart. So famed for, for Love Island, and then suddenly bursting onto the theater scene as a kind of ambassador to, to what's on stage it seems. Um, I mean, Ray, I, I've got to commend you because you gave me my first opportunity as a producer when we produced Parade Together. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people do make this transition from performers to producers. And obviously, we, we've got to commend anybody who, who does that. I would say an interesting choice for Ginger Quiff to, to approach Amy Hard. Because I did, when I was watching this piece, thinking I wonder if Amy would have picked it, would have, watch this normally or gone to see this.
2: Okay, I'm gonna have to take a bit of an objection. We haven't got to commend anyone for doing anything. They've got to be good at it. Yeah. Um and there are things that I've tried to do when I was, you know, trying my head at writing or or whatever it was, directing, where I wasn't very good at it. And I quite rightly was told by the critics that I wasn't very good at it. And so I stopped doing it. Um I'd, you know, uh, there, there's the old adage, stick to what you know. Um, yeah. I, I don't understand why Amy was in any way interested in this piece. And I do commend putting your name to something that you probably haven't read. Um, <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just I just didn't understand it. Um, and I have to say, I'm really, you know, quite taken with the fact that she did it. I'm not going to commend her for it, though. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know exactly what she did and, and how involved she was. Um, you know, do you know? Well, that's the thing
0: because obviously, uh, the role of a producer is so varied. It can vary from like sourcing the money to to general manager to to just having hey, the, to name the scenery on
2: the to doing anything. Yeah. You know, like. It's the role of producer is so varied and it's not until you get to Cameron Macintosh that you can pay other people to do what the producer does yeah. and put your name on the top. But I think um, I, I I just, yeah, I, I just went, really? Um, and again, that, and this really isn't me being snobby um, because I have a huge amount of time for what Amy does as an ambassador for the theatre.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and Amy has got people interested in the theatre who probably had never been in a theatre before. Yeah. Um, and having spent some time with Amy at the press night of Pretty Woman, um, which was another piece that I loved, and people thought were amazed that I even turned up to see it, um, and I think she's a brilliant individual and an yeah. exceptional human being. But this Amy and Scaramouche Jones are just two things that I don't. I think in without a, without a global pandemic and the world going crazy, we'd never have seen it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I won't. I won't commend her, because that's patronising. But what I would like to say is, I'd like to see her find pieces that she's really interested in, and produce that, leading it from the front, like Danielle Torrento does, for example. Um, If you, she's got such a good profile, Amy, and she's such a nice person, that if she took a production that she really believed in, and it would have to be a musical, because I think Amy said on one of these things that she's only been to one play before this. Yeah. So you know, take a musical, love a musical, and use your star power, which she has, and your incredible personality to put that show on, and and give Daniel Turrentine a run for her money, or or Katie Lipson, because yeah. um, then with them it will be like Dynasty, with with they'd all be fighting over over the best musical in town. But um, yeah one thing i would say as well phil is i am a bit worried that we are just trying to love everything because the industry is on its behind um it really is on its behind but our role is not to be cheerleaders um that that really is amy's role and 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 as you've always said phil like you don't do the reviews you know you you share the news and you celebrate the form um, and, and, and I'm a bit worried that as critics, we're all being expected now to love everything because there's a huge amount of work that's gone into to it at the worst possible time. Yeah. I want to I want to love everyone's work, but I don't want to feel like I have to love the piece or the product. And um, and I, I, you know, I'd said that I wanted to say that. So I have now we can move on. No, I mean we. Could, that's a very valid point because Paul, you've been
0: very kind of fair. I mean, we have we'll seen. <laughs> I mean, how many stars did we give this one? I give uh, three stars to this one. Yeah, but it's you're 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 certainly not commending them just for putting something on.
1: Oh God, no! Well, the thing is, I mean, very early on in the pandemic. Um, I think I gave a a two-star review to something I'd seen online. And I felt very bad about it. But I thought, you've got to speak the truth. You've got to speak the truth. And then there was a a non-official memo going around, not at the stage, but online, saying anyone who gives anything anything other than three stars or four stars is all you're gonna get through lockdown. And I, I kind of took that to heart. And I thought to myself, maybe that's the case. Now, a stage review doesn't give me enough space to go hugely into what I thought was wrong with the production. So I tend to speak about what is right with the production more than anything else. I loathe the star system. I hate hate having to give stars for something. but in this case, I think three stars was fair and all of those stars were shame. basically. Yeah. the rest of it, I thought to myself, you know what that's not gonna that's gonna win any favors at all. Yeah and may you gave it four.
3: Yeah. Uh. I, I, I liked it um despite all of the different uh, I based um kind of new to the star system um I, I just recently graduated. two uh, two years ago so the upcoming was like the first first publication that um really really hinged on like um the the star system for anything from film tv Mm. to music um i base it on my enjoyment of it but also base it on my enjoyment of other things as well so like for example if i liked uh, an album and if I like to play, but I like the album a little bit better, more than the play, the, the play would obviously have a, a lower star rating and stuff like that. And I actually do agree with what these guys have been saying, especially about like the patronizing thing. It's Like you can't, you can't say that they they did a good job just because they were able to do this during a pandemic, because that's, it 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 it's rude to the people yeah. who were working hard on this, um, because um, you, you're basically giving them a good job for just just doing their jobs basically
0: and how much guidance do the upcoming give you with regard to to the star ratings and has that changed during the pandemic uh,
3: well they uh they help me out um sometimes they steer me in the direction of like um balancing the my opinions and as well as like being objective in like Re- reviewing these things. So like like I said, I base it on my enjoyment, but sometimes my editor would be like, um, since there wasn't too much wrong with the actual like performance, you have to give this either a higher rating than what you've given it. Because there are often times where I would watch something and I would find a lot of good things in it, but I just wouldn't enjoy it. As much as I, I would like to, even though I didn't find anything inherently wrong with it, and sometimes I would give it a lower star rating because, comparing to the other things that I've I've seen and enjoyed, um, it just wasn't up to par with me. And they would be like, "Hey, can you can you rethink this? Um, because there wasn't anything in your review that that stated uh, that 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 like um, pulled it down um, that that." there wasn't a lot of um, bad criticisms towards it. So you have to pull it up. Um, So they've been helping me balance that. And it's still kind of like a learning curve for me because obviously, like I said, I'm still new to uh, theater um, reviews. I'm more privy to film and music reviews, but I've been enjoying theater. I only started doing theater reviews in November. And I think my first one was Mrs. Goldie versus the world, which I really, really liked. I really enjoyed that. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It kind of it kind of reminds me of this story time thing that I was telling you guys about, like, um, you know, just one angle, people telling the story and then going through their life's journey. Actually, Mrs. Goldie versus the world is kind of like a condensed version of um, Skyrimish Jones because it talks about um this one woman's um life and um her experiences, but it was 16 minutes instead of like an hour and 30 minutes, which was brilliant for me. Um I saw it in one sitting. But yeah, uh I'm I'm still learning and hopefully I get a little bit better than this. And I, I yeah, I agree a lot with what you guys said, but like just just being Um, honest, Um, especially nowadays, you are tempted to kind of like give people a pat in the back for being able to just do things during the pandemic because it is a hard time. But at the end of the day, um, people are wanting to find a good time as well. And you have to give them an honest opinion so that they can they can decide if they want to spend their time on this thing and often
2: their money, you know, but it's it really is this is, has been a horrible time for everyone, but it's just not our role to just say we have to support and give everyone an A+. plus. Um, you know, life isn't like that, and, and art isn't like that, and theatre isn't like that. There are good and there are bads. I, I mean, before the pandemic, I remember everyone used to say it only got a three-star, but it read like a four-star review. Um, and you'd think, no, you got three stars. <laughs> you know, like, but, uh, but everyone, you know, anything I went to see, any of my friends were in anything, they'd say, you know, oh, blogger or reviewer A gave it this, but it read like it was better. <laughs> um, you know, what, were you reading it while you were singing? Um, it, it's just a very bizarre thing. I, I, I do have a fear that as we start to open up, um and and theatre comes back we're going to be flooded with mediocre and we're all going to be expected to say this is brilliant because we're all in a room together um i'm really looking forward to being in that room together but if i'm going to be in that room and then afterwards stand outside saying how terrible it was i'm going to do that as well i want to get back to what we had which is you know good theatre criticism that doesn't pull its punches um, and there's not a cat in hells chance I'm going to give anyone one more star than they deserve, in my opinion. And I, I, I'm with you, Paul, and I'm with you, May. The star system is ridiculous. If if we have a star system, just have stars. That we 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 might as well not use our time writing paragraphs of prose. Um, I I, I much prefer opinion. Um, and 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 Pauls and May, your opinions on this so I think were brilliant. And. Um,
1: Likewise, I read and I loved, I loved your interview as well, May. With um,
3: yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank Thanks you. That me. was all on Justin for having such um, long answers and insight. I just provided questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I liked learning from you guys as well. Um, seeing a different perspective from a veteran um, in the theater industry. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I- this <laughs> can help me in my future reviews of theater as well.
2: Amazing. Can I
1: borrow your millennium goggles,
2: please? Don't don't put them on. (laughs) (laughs) Once was enough in my case, I can tell you
0: that. Well, thank you very much. That's been brilliant. I've loved chatting to each of you. Um, So I'm going to let you go and enjoy the rest of the sunshine while we've got such a glorious weather at the moment. Fantastic.
1: Thank you very much, Phil. And lovely to see you all. Lovely to see you, Ray. Lovely to meet you, Ray. Thank you. Uh,
3: love, you to, love, love to see you guys as well. I'll meet you. Hopefully we can do more of these kinds of things. Absolutely. Since
1: Thank you. Maybe if
3: we run in the same theater circles, we'll see each other.
1: Yes. <laughs> see you at an opening night sometime. <laughs> With and,
2: and Phil, just a thank you. I, like what you what you continue to do for this industry, I think is marvelous. It's um, it really is informative, entertaining, and if you're watching this, um, this man works very, very hard to, to shepherd us all together and get us onto these things. So, thank you massively as well. Thank it's been you. Wonderful.
0: Thank you for watching. These videos are made completely free, so if you have enjoyed it please do share it and subscribe to my channel if you would like to. I'm also setting up a charity called That Fest to raise money and awareness for HIV charities. If you'd like to donate, please do find out all the information on my website. Welcome and welcome to the first episode of Showdown. What are you, it's been, hey? We've seen this, this complete revolution of online theatre now. Every time Lambert Jackson announced a brand new musical they're doing online, I get excited. I want it to stay. I don't want online theatre to disappear because it's a great little medium. Exactly. I'm not convinced because I, I think that online theatre is a pale imitation of the real thing. I think there's a happy balance
2: between the two, actually.
0: Um... So, back to Brooklyn. This is my first experience of it.
2: I've seen it
0: twice. I saw the original on Broadway in two thousand and four. It's a pretty terrible show, but but actually, and here's the thing: I thought that watching it on, on 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 the video was actually excellent. They did a really good job of it. Quite brilliant cinematography. It kind of sold itself because it was on TV.
1: I didn't think this particularly
0: solved any of its problems. And while it was beautiful and it was performed brilliantly, I,
1: I still don't like good musical.